seated. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, also printed on your bulletin insert, you'll find our wonderful secretaries were able to fit all 22 verses on that one page. But if you have a larger print on your uh, device or on the Bible in front of you, you might need that. Um, We're looking at the book of Proverbs in a new sermon series. It's new in the sense that this is the first time I'm preaching through Proverbs, but I've entitled it Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times, and we need wisdom to navigate life today. And I think one of the problems that we encounter sometimes in hearing from the Proverbs is that preachers aren't preaching Proverbs because they're afraid it's going to be sound moralistic, that here's a bunch of do's and don'ts, and this is how God will accept you and you'll finally find favor with Him. But the book of Proverbs doesn't function as the way for us to enter into the kingdom. This is not how we are justified by keeping the works of the law. We're justified by faith, by God's grace through faith. It's not of works, otherwise we could boast about it. But we are His workmanship when we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand we should walk in them. Walking in the way that He set before you is just as much God's gracious enablement as His gracious enablement to open your eyes to see and believe. But what we're embarking on in the book of Proverbs rests securely and soundly in you being saved by grace through faith. And then from that, in the way that the Proverbs is is really going to picture that for us is to know the fear of the Lord, to know who Yahweh is, to know Him in His gracious gracious covenant-keeping nature. And so, here in chapter 2, we have another speech laid out before us. And if you uh, are taking that assignment that I gave two weeks ago to read a proverb a day for 31 days in the book of January, you may be behind like I am. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or any group repentance over uh, not being up to Proverbs 19. Uh, but as you've gone through, you probably saw the first nine chapters fit in more of a speech format, and then 10 and beyond are sayings, just seems like just bullet lists of all these seemingly unconnected sayings. I got to tell you, I'm probably more hardwired for these speeches. I like to see the connection and the flow and the progression and the logic of it. If you saw my uh, color coding and underlining and highlighting and whatever I do, it helps me to see that this fits all together, and I love the way that it connects. These ideas and concepts, they just fit together. It's, it's just harder, more difficult for me. But I'd encourage you, persevere in that, and what I've been doing is reading those sayings in a slower format, one at a time, and thinking about application after each one, instead of getting through the whole reading and then saying, okay, what did I take, what will I take away from this? Maybe that'll help you as I, um, too, struggle with how to make application of these uh, sayings. But for this chapter, you're going to hear a tight logical flow through these conditional statements in the first four verses, and then concluding in the fifth, if-then statements, followed by then some motivational and foundational for statements, for this or for that. And the literary 
device that I want you to pay close attention to is the imagery that's used with this term, the way or the path. Twelve times either way or path is referred to throughout this psalm. It gives us a visual picture of what it means to live out the fear of the Lord. And so, the way is a course of travel to navigate your terrain and end up in your desired destination. Okay, you need to navigate the current terrain and then end up in a desired destination. That's what a way is designed to do. And that's where the good way ought to take us. And we need to be careful that there is a bad way as well that we need to avoid. So, follow along as I read verses 1 through 22, this Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and their ways and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. And her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good, keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land, inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, that you give us direction for daily living. And Lord, I thank you that you have called us to be your disciples, to be learners of you and to follow you, that we did nothing to be chosen by you. In fact, we've done everything to make ourselves unlovable and unwanted because of our sin and our folly. But in your grace, you save us and set us on this path. And Lord, you encourage us on the path. You direct us in our path. Lord, this portion of your word today is before us for our growth, for our good. And we know that you have good intentions for it. With your your son Jesus, we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth because your word is truth. And as we learn and uh, discern what is before us, we know that doesn't come naturally either. We know that we lack wisdom, 
So with James, we ask for wisdom, and we trust you to grant it. Lord, we thank you that you grant us wisdom, and then you grant us the power to obey you, to live for you in Christ-honoring ways. And so, Lord, would you be glorified this morning as your people gather to grow in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a recent video I came across on a friend's uh, Facebook page, they asked a question that I think it's relevant to us today and relevant to Proverbs chapter 2. I think it's relevant beyond just people that go to churches and look to the Bible for answers. I think it's something that people throughout society are asking. And the question kind of started off this way, and that is, how do we make society better? Nobody wants to live in a bad society. Now, people have different definitions of what a good society is, a bad society is, but if we had some things that we had a consensus on, what, a, what, what would be good, how do we get there from here? How do we have and make a good society? And this video dealt with the focus and drive that many have in our world today. Maybe it's an American thing or maybe it's broader than that, but it deals with pouring large amounts of time and energy and passion and focus into bringing awareness to vast societal and worldwide problems, and usually seeking solutions by finding political and legal answers. Change this law, vote in this person, and we'll fix these enormous societal problems, some of them on a worldwide scale. And the video was pointing out that the observation that they made was that the way that we are trending in America is that we are now producing vast numbers of Americans who are passionate about fixing America while doing next to nothing about fixing their own character. You may agree with that. You may not agree with that. The focus of the book of Proverbs, as we understand the way that the Lord sets out before us, is really as Solomon sets up a conversation with his son. As we see this book of Proverbs probably fit into the category of a, of a tutorial or of training for those young leaders within the kingdom who were going to be brought up to um, areas of significance and of leadership and of power and authority over others, how do we train them early on? What, what way are we going to lead them in? And so as we look at the text today, I want us to consider how it is that our character can be changed. It focuses on personal character development and this beautiful poetic imagery of walking in the way and following the way is something that's very helpful for us. As I mentioned, 12 times throughout this chapter, this word way or path is used. And it's important that we understand that even the the literal Hebrew word is like a, a wagon rut or cart rut, something that you get into and keep going. And you follow in that. And it's, it's really difficult to get out sometimes, and you fall back into it. And it sounds a lot like the, the habits and patterns that we form in our lives. You all have habits and patterns. Some of our habits are good habits. Some of our habits are not so good, right? 
And so what's our goal? We want to we make sure that we don't keep falling into the same bad habits, that those ruts, and we want to create for ourselves new good habits that are right and just. But in order to get on the right way, we've got to figure out how to find this way of wisdom. How do we get there? And what's interesting, in these first four verses, as they point and they culminate in verse 5, there are a bunch of if statements. The, the protasis uh, or the antecedent comes first, and then the then statement, the, the apotasis, the consequence. You don't have to remember all your uh, English grammar classes to know that this, then that, is the order that we find out what's true how it works out. It's a logical flow of things. And so God wants us to be pointed to what He culminates here in verse 5. So how do we find this way of wisdom? Notice first in verse 1, it starts off, my son. It's the role of the father and mother to train their son or their daughter. As we saw in chapter 1, listening to the instructions of your mother and your father is what is that way of communication and of imparting truth. It's, it's personal. It's lived out. My son, if you receive my words, it's something that's already caught by one and being taught to another. It's something that's being lived out and then communicated. And so this personal way of living out this knowledge really fits with the image of the way. It's, it's like somebody who has walked down the same path a few more steps ahead of you and says, hey, watch out for that branch. Hey, watch out for that puddle. Hey, watch out for a lot of warnings. And then, hey, over here, we're going this direction. This is the place to go. And that father to son or mother to son and, or daughter is that way of instruction. Now, here come the if statements. The, notice the progression from verses 1 to 4. There's a progression in the way of wisdom and the way to wisdom that culminates in the fear of the Lord. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, that is, take it in, receive it, don't ignore it, don't just let it pass by. You know, you can show up here on a Sunday morning and the truth of God's word comes out, the admonition of Scripture is receive it. Uh, Be a learner, take it in. Be teachable. And then treasure up my commandments within you. That sounds a lot like Psalm 119 where it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does that look like? Memorizing. Memorizing the word of God so that it helps us keep on the way. So receiving and treasuring up lead into verse 2. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Again, being a learner, but also giving special attention with your ear and your mind to these, to this wisdom. And then it also understand, it involves understanding with your heart, what's going on with your heart. And the Hebrew heart involves your intellect, your emotions, your will, your desires. And so with all that you have, go after wisdom. Don't let it be a head heart, uh, uh, just a head knowledge um, exercise. Um, don't just let it be a, when I'm stirred, I will, I'll look at that truth. It's 
a full-orbed embracing of everything that's there. It steps up yet again in verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding. This isn't passively. This is very actively calling out for it. Raising your voice for it shows that there's a passion. There's a desire. This is something I want. If you're sitting in the stadium and you see those guys going by with the tray full of peanuts or popcorn or drinks, what do you do? Hey, I'll take one of those. You cry out for it. You call for it because it's something you want, and you want it now. Before he gets too far away, you're going to say it even louder if he doesn't hear you. You cry out for it. You call out for it. Expression of your desire, you want it. Do you want wisdom? Do you want the knowledge of God in that same way? And then verse 4, you, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, you're, you're on a full-out, full-on treasure hunt. You're going after it with focused intensity, determina- determination. Nothing's going to stop you. I mean, if you found a letter that was hidden in some closet of your house that says, there is a treasure hidden in this house, wouldn't it interest you a little bit? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be like, oh, where haven't I been? Where haven't I looked? How, ca- how am I going to find? You'd look for clues. You'd look for evidence. You'd look for whatever might be left around that, that would point you to where that treasure is. Seek the Word of God like we're seeking after a fortune. That wisdom, when we receive it, is valuable. So spend your time on getting it. Give your focused attention to go in after it. Don't be passive readers of the Word, but be active hunters digging for gold nuggets. And when you get those nuggets, I like what I was saying about those, about those sayings, particularly in the second half of the book. As you come across a nugget, what are you going to do with it? Just throw it in the safe? Just tuck it away? No, you should use it. You should implement it. Put it into action in your life. Wisdom is knowledge applied, not just sitting on your hands with some smarts in your head. It's going out with that knowledge and, and being active with it. So if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, culminating then, verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. You will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Eighteen times throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to hear about the fear of the Lord. And it's a key thought. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So the beginning of this path that we're going to go down is understanding and recognizing the awe and fear of the God of the universe. And then living out in pursuit of that, it's also the culmination of this path. The path starts out with coming to know the God of the universe through His Son Jesus, but it's also going to culminate in the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God, finding Himself. So here, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God are put in synonymous parallelism. The knowledge of God, it's something that Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We are um, 
passionate believers in the sufficiency of Scripture, that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And yes, when we open God's Word, we, we, we don't find uh, the directions on how to fix your car or the recipe for the most hel- healthy meal, but all things that pertain to life and godliness are given to us. And one of the great deposits of those things is in the book of Proverbs. And when we find it, we grow in the knowledge of Him. You see how that works out? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. And so, coming to fear the Lord and to know Him, that makes all the difference in the world. Not just know about Him. Not just know things that He says know Him. And so, J.I. Packer in his book, uh, Knowing God, uh, Pastor Tony mentioned this uh, last Sunday night when he introduced the, the book of Second Peter, uh, brought out these four points that uh, Packer has about what, what are the implications, what are the benefits of knowing God as He reveals Himself in Scripture. And what I would say from Proverbs 2, what are the benefits of the fear of the Lord and growing in that? Packer says, those who know God have great energy for God. Anybody need a little extra energy? Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Those who know God share great, show great boldness for God. And those who know God have great contentment in God. But we live in a culture of more anxiety and stress and worry than seemingly ever before. And those who know God are able to make sense of and put in proper context those things that are ahead of us and those things that are behind us and how to uh, not slip into worry but to draw contentment from the Lord. So here's the beginning of the path. This is how we find the path. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the path. It's going to be the end of the path. But how do we stay on the good path? What does it mean to stay on the right path? Uh, verses 6 to 11 help us to make sense of that. There's some four statements and then a then statement mixed in there. But verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching the way of his saints. Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to you. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Beautiful instruction about what the good path looks like. How do we recognize it and stay on it? Well, first recognize that the source is God. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. There's a lot of sources of information out there. Where do you get your news? Is this real news or fake news? Is this true truth or not true truth? Where are you going to get your wisdom from? There's a lot of experts out there that have all sorts of advice on your finances, on your health, on your relationships. Where's your wisdom going to come from? The true wisdom that's from God, the source, makes all the difference. Is the source of your wisdom God? The second, verse, second half of verse 7 says, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of His saints. And then verse 11 says, Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Do you see this theme? There's safety. 
When you're on the good path, you're going to find it's the safe path. This is the path where you don't have to worry all the time. You don't have to be looking over your shoulder. If you're on the wrong path, there's dangerous things around you, dangerous people around you. But when you know you're on the good path, there's safety. Verse 9 says, then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. I mean, these are big themes. We want to see righteousness in our nation. We want to see justice in our society. We want to see equity. These moral and ethical obligations, we'd love to see that characterize the place where we live, the neighborhoods that we move around in, our entire country, our entire world. We'd like to see those moral and ethical external realities in our world. But they start with God's covenant people here living out those convictions in our own personal lives. And hopefully we in our families and in our church and in our neighborhoods and in our country start to, with one decision at a time, start making a track, start laying down a path with the wheels of our life that are a guide for the person coming behind us so that they stick to those paths. Verse 10 says, wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. When you're on the right path, it brings inner peace and joy. Your heart, finding that wisdom and knowledge, it's pleasant to you. Living in covenant with our God, living according to His principles and following His path is a path to inner peace and joy. Inside, outside, it's better for us when we're in the path. You don't hear me saying, if you're in the path, then God will love you and accept you and and call you his own. No, we've already established, you've come to understand the beginning of the path. It's the fear of the Lord. You understand a relationship with this God, this covenant-keeping God, starts by his grace, him choosing you and making you his own. And then you living out and walking in this path is something that he graciously enables you to do along the way as well. But he calls you to do it. So walk in these paths. Go this way. Uh, The other day, Friday, when the ice storm hit, I waited a little while to go to an appointment that I already set up. I waited until the news said that 435 and I-35 were open at the point I needed to go nearby and that the 35 or so wrecks that were uh, off to the side weren't current accidents. Anyways, as I started down the highway, you have probably had this experience, whether it's snow or ice, this is a good prep for Kansas drivers. Take it from me. There's a path to take and there's a path not to take, right? Do you want to be the front runner and going in a path in one lane that nobody has been down yet? No, you're looking for the lane that's well-worn and that all of the ice has kind of worked away off of it and you stay firm. What happens if you pull off a side a little bit from that? You start to lose I was taking my son to the uh, train station and and getting on the on-ramp to get onto the highway, I realized my window is a little fogged over. I better clear that. And just all I had to do was wipe a little bit. It got me going a little sideways. And so when I look forward again, I'm turning this way and then I'm turning this way and, and I straightened out. How easy for us is it to get off the wrong path? 
To, you're on the right way, but then you're, you're, you're getting sideways in life. And you know the implications here. You, you can kind of make the, connect the dots for your own personal life. We're talking about in the choices that you make, the people that you're going with, the decisions that you're making in life. If you stay on the right path, there's joy, there's peace, there's security, there's safety. You're honoring the Lord, and that's good. This is the warning about the wrong path. Verses 12 through 19 or so talk about this way of evil. This is the wrong way. And it says that we can be delivered from the way of evil. And then two individuals are mentioned in the second half of verse 12 from men of perverted speech. And then down to verse uh, 16 to 19 from the forbidden woman or the adulteress that's mentioned. And so, delivered in verse 12 from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. And and listen to the character of this wrong way. What does it sound like to you? It's perverted. It's people who forsake the paths of uprightness, and they walk in ways of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil. They delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and are devious in their ways. They're not necessarily straightforward in it devious about it. Verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. If you're staying in the right path, you're not where this woman is, the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go to her regain the paths of life. So, two dangerous paths, the one of the perverted or the, uh, the men of perverted speech, and then the way of the forbidden woman? How do we avoid those? How do we not get caught in those ruts? Uh, good ruts can keep us going along in the right lane and keep us safe. But bad ruts are going to land up in destruction. Um, I've been off-road enough in my little forerunner on hunting trips to realize that just because a a rut is there and somebody else has traveled that path doesn't mean it leads in a good spot. You need to look ahead to make sure that it isn't the path of somebody who doesn't know the terrain, who doesn't know the property, who isn't heading in the place that you want to go because it could land you in a ditch, in the creek, off the edge. So, knowing that there are dangerous paths to go on, and just because there's ruts don't follow in there, I think verses 12 to 19 help to inform us of how to avoid these bad ruts. I took kind of six observations from here. See how this progresses. The one thing we notice is that the path looks okay, but it's not. Terms like perverted or crooked and smooth and seductive. It's not what it appears to be. So be careful. Your, your vision, your perspective could be wrong, right? When you head out from your house and you know the forecast is ice and you can see ice, but you wonder, I wonder how icy it is. Do you check your brakes? Do you try and see if you'll stop in a reasonable amount of time? Test it out. Don't be deceived by something that seems right but truly isn't. How do you test it out? Well, you hold it to the Scriptures and say, is that 
Does that comport with what God says? Secondly, these paths need to be seen well ahead and marked out for where they lead. I mean, if you see the sign that says wrong way or do not enter, read the signs. Somebody put them up there for a reason. Don't say, oh, no, I'm just going to find out for myself. Be open to correction. Be open to instruction. Thirdly, a course change must occur sooner rather than later. When you get in a rut and it starts taking you the wrong way and you get stuck, um, the time to fix the stuck problem was probably about 20 yards up the road before you actually got so committed to that wrong path. Check your path before it leads you into a problem. Fourthly, pride tells me I can do this. I got this. I can do it on my own. I got four-wheel drive. I can get out of anything. Wrong. Until you get stuck, stuck, up to the axles stuck, and your wheels are spinning, and you're going nowhere stuck. Don't let your pride keep you from recognizing where the real danger is. These are crooked paths. There's something devious to them. They'll trick you. It seems like it's smooth, but you'll sink. It seems like you can get by, but you'll get trapped. Be careful. Fifthly, Folly asks, how close can I get without slipping in? Right? I want to get right to the edge of the guardrail. How close to sin can I ride and not get caught? We do this in our relationships and setting, even in uh, setting physical boundaries before marriage of what we'll do and where we will be and how we'll conduct ourselves. If the idea is, well, how can I get as close to I, as I can without falling into sin, that's going to land you into, into trouble. No, look, these are matters of life and death. In verses 18 and 19, this, this house sinks down to death. This is the, where the, the departed go. When people go to her, they don't come back. They don't regain the path of life. And so understanding that these are life and death decisions, and don't be casual about the choices that you made. And finally, sixth, when you get stuck, you're going to need help to get out. Have you ever been so stuck you had to call the tow truck? Been so stuck out in the field that I had to call the farmer to come with his tractor and pull me out? Yeah. Don't just keep forward and reverse and forward and reverse and forward and reverse and trying to get yourself out when you're stuck. Morally, in our lives, the humility that it takes to call for help, to really ask a brother or sister in Christ, can you pray for me and pray with me on the phone here? I got a big decision that I'm making and I need some help. Or I've made a decision that doesn't honor God and I'm trapped in this sin. Would you help me to get victory over it? If you're the one stuck, don't be afraid to reach out. If you see somebody stuck, go help them out, but don't fall in yourself, right? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, if someone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should seek to restore them with a spirit of humility, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't fall into the rut with them when you're attempting to help pull them out. There is in the... 
Greek mythology in the Odyssey, the story of Odysseus on his journey that ran into a subtle but very dangerous problem. He says, I was driven thence by foul winds for a space of nine days upon the sea, but on the tenth day we reached the land where the lotus eaters, who live on a food that comes from a kind of flower. Here we landed to take in fresh water, and our crews got got their midday meal on the shore near the ships. When they had eaten and drunk, I sent two of my company to see what manner of men these people of the place might be. And they had a third man under them. They started at once and went among the lotus eaters, who did them no hurt, but gave them to eat of the lotus, which was so delicious that those who ate it left off caring about home and did not even want to go back and say what had happened to them but were for staying and munching lotus and the lotus eaters without thinking further of their return. Nevertheless, though they wept bitterly, I forced them back to the ships and made them fast under the benches. Then I told the rest to go on board at once, lest any of them should taste the lotus and leave off wanting to get home. So they took their places and smote the gray sea with their oars. Sometimes we, we, we need to be cautioned about... about those perils that don't seem to be dangerous, but we get trapped in. And when we get out of the trap, set your oars to the gray sea and move out of there, get back on the right path. The true son or daughter of God is one who understands the proper fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of your trip, and it's the final destination for your path. And the way of repenting of sin and trusting in Christ is the the beginning of walking in a, in a way that's acceptable to the Lord. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Anyone who wants to go to the Father has to come through Him. So this week, don't be passive about the truth of God's Word. When you hear God's Word, lap it up. Take it into your heart. Memorize some piece of God's Word or so meditate on a nugget of Scripture and then put it into action in your life. Stay on the good path because it really provides you safety and a compass. And watch out for the many pitfalls. And graciously and humbly warn others and encourage others when they're walking down the wrong path. If you're stuck today or if you're at risk of slipping, call out for help. Ask a brother or sister for help. If you see somebody that's on the wrong path, Gently, lovingly, come to them and help them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the way of wisdom is set before us in ways that uh, we're challenged, we're um, encouraged, but yet realize that this is hard for us to both have the motivation and the perseverance to stay in, Lord, the the way that goes before us, the way that leads to destruction is broad and it's easy. And your way is narrow. Lord, we want to know your way and to recognize it and to walk in it and to live in it. Give us the grace of seeing eyes and hearing ears. And give us the humility to know that if we're on the right path, It's because you're graciously keeping us there and you've placed us there. Keep us from any pride or arrogance and in a spirit of humility, Lord, 
Help us to keep watch on our lives. Search us, Lord, and try us and see if there are impure ways in us. And lead us in the way everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.